to 55. This is called Mary's Magnificat. It's her song of praise. But Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, is, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. This, this text that I just read for you was spoken by a girl who was probably somewhere in her teen years. The Bible never tells us how old Mary was when she knew of the baby in her womb, but I think that we can assume when we look at the culture of this time and know what they did a couple thousand years ago, we can probably rightly assume that Mary was a teenager. And although that causes us maybe a little bit confusion and doesn't jive with our culture certainly at all, I want to direct our minds to Mary's youth in a way that causes us not to be necessarily impressed with her as a young woman, but impressed really with what God would do through her as a young woman. And so I've titled this short message, What Did Mary Know? No doubt you have heard the song maybe several times this Christmas season on the radio, Mary Did You Know? Right? This song has been sung by almost like countless authors or artists from like Kenny Rogers all the way over to like Mary J. Blot. I mean, just like so many artists have sung this song, Mary, Did You Know? And if there's one thing that you remember about the song, it's just that constant question. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? And if I remember correctly, the song actually never gives an answer to that question. So the question is asked at least 50 times in the song, Mary, did you know? But there's no response from Mary. So it's almost like whoever's singing it is looking at Mary's face. Hey, Mary, did you know this? Mary, did you know? I mean, really kind of assuming Mary was pretty ignorant girl, doesn't it? Mary, did you know this? It's kind of like your kid, right, coming up to you. Dad, 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 just assuming that you're ignorant about everything. But Mary's just receiving this question over and over and over again. Mary, did you know? And so it's never revealed what she knew in the song, of course. But I'm left to wonder, even in light of that song and in light of the the familiar Christmas story, what did Mary know about this situation? But maybe more importantly, what did Mary believe about what she knew? Like the information that was given to her, what did she believe? Because isn't that even a little more important than what she knew? I know many of you are quite familiar with this story in the book of Luke. The video that we just watched rehearsed that beginning of the account quite well. But if you remember, the angel Gabriel comes up to Mary and he tells her that she is going to have a baby. And you even remember in the video, she kind of has this confused look on her face because she's a virgin. So how was she supposed to have a baby when she is a virgin? We know that Mary was betrothed to a man named Joseph. So they have an arrangement that's really as good as marriage in some ways. They would have actually had to get a divorce in order to break that betrothal. But 
they're not fully married. They have never been together in that way. And so for her to get pregnant would have been a total impossibility. But the angel tells Mary that she will have a son and that his son would be Jesus. Now in these days, there's a lot to a name. The name Jesus is really the name Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. So there's a huge clue, even in this baby's name, as to what he's going to do. What's he going to do with his life? It's got to have something to do with his name, Jehovah saves. So whoever he was going to be, whatever he was going to do, was going to be in the context of saving. The passage, the angel even says to Mary that he would be the son of the Most High. He would sit on the throne of King David and he would rule over this king, that the kingdom that there would be absolutely no end to. So all this to say that Jesus would be an incredible person. There would be nobody born before him or after him that would do so much. Another famous Christmas text that we often look at this time of year is in Isaiah 9, this prophecy that even speaks of Jesus. And it says that he's going to be the wonderful counselor. He's going to be the mighty God. He's going to be the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so after this conversation between Mary and the angel ends, Mary says something remarkable. And I want you to look at verse 38, if you have your text open. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So I want to remind you again that this Mary was likely a teenager. She's young. She's betrothed to a man. She's a virgin. She's living in a world where pregnancy before being fully married could certainly get her to receive the death penalty. And so she looks at the angel and the response is incredible. So after this teenage girl, this virgin, receives this information that she's going to bear a son, her response is this, let it be to me according to your word. Can you imagine the fallout of something like that? This is an impressive young woman. She's willing to accept the word of God and the will of God for her life, despite the very clear reality that she would face a ton of opposition for what would happen to her by being pregnant. This chapter details for us that Mary goes on from this conversation with the angel. She goes and she sees her cousin Elizabeth, who was also pregnant with John the Baptist, who we refer to him as. But she goes and she sees her cousin Elizabeth. And when she sees Elizabeth, the baby in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb, literally leaps for joy as a result of the Messiah coming near. And so Elizabeth, she speaks to Mary and of all, all the favor in her life as the one who would bear this Messiah. So this, this information that Mary was pregnant and there was going to be uh, the Messiah and that Elizabeth was pregnant and he was going to be the forerunner of Jesus who was in Mary's womb. All of this is just so wonderful to these two women. But notice verse 45 with me. This is Elizabeth speaking to Mary. She says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So notice that word, believe. So the Gabriel, he imparts knowledge to Mary. Elizabeth says that Mary believes. And that's what's important. Mary's knowledge that Gabriel gave to her literally led her to 
believe. This is why she explodes into the song of praise, what we call the Magnificat. This is why she says in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She has understood the word and the will of God has spoken to her through the angel and she believes what he has said and it causes her now to magnify and to rejoice in God. And that same pattern between receiving knowledge, believing the knowledge, and then rejoicing in what you believe, that same pattern could be seen easily in all of our lives. I think even in small ways, I think that it does. When, when we learn a little bit of knowledge, we assess whether or not it's true, and then when we deem it as truth... It changes the way we think. It changes the way we act. We live in light of the truth that we now receive and believe. And so here is this young woman, and she's rejoicing in the truths that she believes about God and what he's doing through her. And I love what she says in this passage, that that she magnifies the Lord. That her spirit rejoices in God, but she also recognizes something very important within verse 48. That she is a humble servant. So she acknowledges what so many people have not acknowledged. That she is the humble servant, right? And that God is the supreme one. So she recognizes and magnifies and rejoices in in God for all that he is. But then she says, and I'm the humble servant. I'm the one whom God is going to do his work through. I am not elevated and lifted up. God is elevated and lifted up. And I'm down here. I'm the humble servant through whom God is going to work. And let me ask you, have you made that acknowledgement That Mary has made. That God is supreme over our lives. And that we are the humble servant. And do you rejoice in that? Because that's kind of the opposite of the way that our world tells us to think. Because we're told that we need to lift ourselves up. that, That we are the answer. That we are our own truth. That we are our own way. Whatever we decide that that is. That's what, that's what the world will tell us. But when we look in the Bible, we see that that's not the case. That it's actually God's way. And that He's the one who's lifted up above all things. And it's for us to submit ourselves to that plan. To that way. If you know anything about the Bible... You know that it's all about Jesus. That the entire Old Testament, that the first half of the Bible, all of it's talking about Jesus. We see all of these types and all of these shadows of Jesus and what he would do and what he would be. The Bible, even hundreds of years before Jesus comes, there was all these prophecies that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem. It tells us who his ancestors are. It tells us that Jesus would ride into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey the last week of his life. It tells us that he would be despised and rejected. It tells us that he would be killed. It tells us all of these things very clearly about him. It does not hold anything back, but gives us all the information we need about what to expect. What should you expect in a Messiah? I'll tell you who his mother's going to be. She's going to be a virgin. He's going to be from this place called Bethlehem. He's going to be eventually slaughtered. And you've got to admit that that death part about Jesus is a little bit of a letdown. All this talk about Jesus in the Old Testament... 
for like what he's going to do and what he's going to be. There's going to be the Messiah and the Savior and God in the flesh. And he's anticipated for all those hundreds and hundreds of years. And the angel tells Mary about his coming. And all of those angels are singing in the sky when he's born. And so he lives his life. And then he dies. And that's a letdown. But there's more to the story. And that's the good news. Because his birth is only part of the story. And his death is only part of the story. So the Bible does tell us that Jesus eventually grew up and he would grow up into a great teacher and preacher and he would grow up into one that could actually heal the masses of their lameness and being blind and being sick and all of that. But even more than all of that, the great thing about Jesus is that it's revealed about him that he has the power to forgive sins. So it's one thing to believe in a guy who can take away your physical pain because I think all of us would believe in that Jesus. If he walked in here today, it was like, hey, I'll take away all your pain. We'd, all, we'd just line right up, right? And then we'd do the candle thing afterwards, but then he'd just go right through the line, and he'd heal all of us. We could sign up for that Jesus. But can you sign up for the Jesus that will forgive you of your spiritual pain and your spiritual bad? Every person has to wrestle with the question of morality, What makes something good and what makes something bad? And when I do something bad, how do I get absolved from doing that thing? How am I made good after I've done something wicked? That's a hard question to answer if you don't have the Bible. So how can I be made righteous when I've done something wrong? How can my bondage of guilt be taken care of so that I can now live in freedom? And so that's where the rest of the story of Jesus comes in. That's where Easter comes in. That Jesus, although perfect himself as the God-man, never did anything wrong and he was sent to die on a cross. The picture of Jesus before he came was that of a lamb. So they they would take a perfect lamb, no blemishes, no spots, nothing wrong with it at all, and they would kill it and spill the blood on the behalf of the person. And so this is the picture that we have in Jesus. That he was taken as the perfect God-man. He was killed and his blood was shed on behalf of those who would receive the sacrifice. But the good news is is this about the physical death of Jesus. Because in his physical death is where we find spiritual life. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He bore the consequences for that sin. And so God the Father literally pours his wrath against sin that is due to all of us. He pours it out on Jesus. Jesus bears that wrath, which is what we had deserved. But he didn't only take our sin and consequences. But in turn, he gives us his righteousness. So he takes away our filth and he places upon us clean white robes of righteousness. They took Jesus after he died. They buried him in the grave. And the grave could not hold him. He was resurrected and he bursted forth out of that grave. And all of those things that I've just talked about. in the taking away of sin and the placing of robes of righteousness. Was attained for us by Jesus then. And so you see this baby boy that we talk about at Christmas time that Mary was told about he did so much more than Mary could have comprehended so when Mary was told that information by the angel 
And she was asked all of those questions. Mary, did you know that your son would walk on water? Mary, did you know that, you know, he, he, after you deliver this boy, he would deliver you? And after all those questions, she, it would have just totally blown her mind if she could have somehow seen the highlight reel of Jesus and all the things that he would have done. And that's the knowledge. All that information about Jesus and how he lived and his resurrection and his death and all of that, that's the knowledge part that is given to you. The question is, do I believe that? Do I believe that stuff? And if I believe that stuff, then how do I live in light of it? The Bible says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It also says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And a lot of people wonder the answer to that question. As they go through life, it just kind of maybe passes through their mind as they drive by the church or something. They may think about their eternal destiny or or whatever it is. They think about, am I saved from wrath to come? And I think a good way to determine that answer is to analyze your life and see if you've responded to the truth like Mary has responded to the truth, where you live your life in a way that magnifies God instead of yourself, where your spirit truly rejoices in God. And so that's exactly what Mary did. She received truth, she believed in the truth, and then she rejoiced and she magnified God because of that truth. But have you done that? The question isn't if you strung a prayer of 25 or so words together, when you were a kid. The question is, if you currently rejoice and magnify God for the salvation that he has brought you. Mary is given knowledge, she believes it, and she magnifies and rejoices in God who has done all of this for her. And you've been given the knowledge about Jesus. The question is, do you believe him and do you rejoice and magnify in God for what he has done for you? And so to answer the question, what did Mary know? She knew a lot. But most importantly, she believed and she rejoiced in what she knew. And may God help us to do the same. Father, we thank you.